Hello everybody, welcome to the NC podcast. It's so lovely that you decided to come over and join me today. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors, where they can come and build a profitable property portfolio that completely aligns with their goals. You want to find out more? Head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk. That's www.ncrealestate.co.uk. How are you doing today? Are you okay? I must admit, this morning it's been raining and I've been running around like a headless chicken like I do literally every day. I think yesterday I managed to work from 7am right the way through to 9.30pm. Um, it was looking like that again this morning and I was like, no, I'm getting up, I'm going out, I'm taking the dog for a walk regardless of whether she likes the rain or not. Um, in fact, I'd prefer to go out in the rain because she has taken to rolling in animal poo. Oh my gosh, we had raccoon poo last week. This week we had duck poo. I have to then take her home, put her in the bath. She hates it and give her a wash. So I was actually quite relieved this morning that it was raining and that she wasn't going to necessarily do that because I guess the rain dampens the smell, which is fantastic. So what am I talking about today? Well, there's been so much going on. I've been really in looking into the UK property market at the moment. Um, I've got clients investing all over the UK. So it's really important that I'm looking at what's going on. And I have to admit, there's one thing that I've seen, which is absolutely driving me crazy, is that the market is not moving, right? That's the first thing. The market is not moving. Even if it's grown in the last couple of months, it's by the smallest 0. something percentage points. So markets aren't moving. If you're listening to this, you're like, well, my area's just grown by 10%. Fantastic. Tell me where that is. Because for most people over the last couple of months, they really have not seen any growth in the property market. But what I am seeing is agents bringing properties to the market that are overpriced, that really should be 10 to 20,000 pounds lower than what they are, and then putting in offers and them just not accepting it, standing firm on the fact that, well, last year I bought it at X amount, and this year it really should be worth an extra 20,000 pounds extra. That's traditionally been the sign of the property market since around... 2014 to 2016, the property market in the UK grew by a huge amount. Here's the thing, we're not seeing that anymore. And so if you're putting your property on the market, you have to be prepared to negotiate or just price it right. You know, if I came out across a property, I was like, oh yeah, this seems reasonable, seems perfectly within the scope of um, how much it should be costing to buy this property, then I would advise my clients to snap it up. Instead, we find ourselves in these endless cycles of negotiation with clients, with um, vendors who just really won't budge. If you are in that same situation, do not offer over the odds. Please don't, because this market will not support you offering over the odds. Take your time to go out, get comparable evidence, see what's happening in the market, see where it's moving to has it moved is this the right amount that you should be paying if that's a no 
please don't buy it. Please don't buy the property just because we don't know what's going to happen over the next 12 months. And what I don't want you to then be thinking is, oh, gosh, the market's come down a little bit. And uh, I now don't know whether I should have paid that amount. Do not sit in that position. Don't allow that to happen. I really want you to be thinking about what offer you're putting in, how worth it, the amount that it's on the market is. By all means, go and have a look at these properties. But it's now your job to start doing comparable evidence and seeing where the market actually is because do not expect agents to be pricing these properties right. Remember, please remember, agents are acting for the sellers. They want to get as much money for the properties that they sell because they get a higher commission based upon the property sell price. They're not going to try and help you in this unless they want to get a deal quickly because no one's buying anything. So just be mindful of the fact that an agent isn't working for you. Unless you hire an agent and you pay them the fees, in which case they should be working for you, or at least they're under contract to, just you need to act for yourself, you need to protect your position and you need to do your due diligence. And however long that takes, it's absolutely fine. Just make sure that you are confident that you are buying at the right price. So that is a note. The market is subdued. Watch it. Just really, really watch it. Um, as well as that, what I'm seeing is a lot of the auction houses and a lot of my colleagues in the auction houses are actually saying to me, Natasha, people aren't really turning up for auctions at the moment, which is interesting considering typically that's where you're going to be getting the best prices for properties. So always make sure that you're jumping back into the auctions after they've happened and seeing what sold, what didn't sell, if there's any deals to be had. And again, offering an appropriate price for it, but it really is a good way of grabbing yourself a bargain at the moment. So use all of that knowledge to your advantage if you're out there buying right now. The other thing that I have noticed in the mortgage in the property market is the mortgage lenders aren't really excited to lend at the moment. Um, I have been speaking a lot with Birmingham Midshires who mortgage some of my property portfolio and they are not interested in extending mortgages at the moment. Even doing a remortgage for a higher amount, they just do not believe that the market can grow and so won't even enter into conversation with me about it, which is new to me. That's not happened, but it's something that I've experienced over the last seven days. So the remortgage will have to uh, come from uh, my other lenders and I will tell you about that um, as I get there. So just be wary about the fact that there's far more hoops to jump over. You really have to prove the value of properties right now to your lenders. They're going to be expecting you to do that. Um, and it's far more difficult to get that really high loan to value. I, I mean, I only really get a loan to value of up to around 60% of my por property portfolio and still I'm struggling. So just bear that in mind. It's not stopped me. Of course, it's not stopped me. I'm always on the research front trying to get it moving forward. Um, but it's just taking a lot longer than it ever has done before. So I just want to warn you of that, that if you're looking to get money and you snap your fingers, ah, just be a bit wary of the fact that you're going to need to wait a couple more weeks if you're trying to get that remortgage out. And they're probably going to charge you a lot 
higher interest than you initially thought. Some people are still getting the cheaper interest rates, but I know that banks are thinking, oh my gosh, is this going to be risky? So actually I'm gonna pop the interest rates up slightly. So again, be a little bit wary of that too. Everything is possible. This is not a doomsday negative thing. I'm just telling you where there's things in the market that you need to be slightly wary of. So what else is new in the market? Did you listen recently to Philip Hammond's spring budget? Did you miss it because Brexit? Or were you thinking to yourself, what, nothing came of that, really? You would be right. <laughs> um, I almost missed Philip Hammond's spring budget if it wasn't for me listening to Moneybox podcast by Radio 4. <laughs> I didn't even realise. I'd got so sick of listening to all of the news about Brexit. I just turned everything off. So the one good news is that the higher rate tax threshold has been pushed up to £50,000. So you could earn an extra £3,650 per annum and get ta taxed in that lower 20% threshold. Woo! That's good news for property investors, right? It means that anybody who um, was earning that little bit over the 20% tax threshold um, now has a little bit of extra room for manoeuvre which is a good thing considering that anybody who is in the lower rate tax threshold doesn't get hit for the new changes to mortgage interest relief, which as we all know, we're all about to submit our tax returns for the 2018-2019 accounting year. And we're only going to be able to deduct 50% of our mortgage interest from our rental profits. However, if you're in that lower 20% tax bracket, you get the tax relief on that. So it shouldn't really have as much of an effect on you as it does for those of you in the higher rate tax bracket. So I'm hoping that that increase in that higher rate tax threshold will be of benefit to some of you. So that was the really, really good news there. I mean, I, we were hoping and I was hoping to see some um, tax cuts for buy-to-let investors, but it just didn't come. I guess we could hold our hopes out for the autumn budget, but quite frankly, whilst we're waiting for Brexit to happen, oh, I don't think we're going to hear anything about it. So that's that little glimmer of hope there. And I hope for those of you who were being paid above that 46 Order 46 something and 50 and between the 50,000 pound mark can now think oh nice I'm not getting charged 40% on um, your earnings but obviously if you're earning over that 50,000 pounds it's still worth your while having that conversation with your landlord no, your accountant sorry and asking about the most tax efficient way of holding properties so that was a good thing the other thing which Philip Hammond seemed to be really celebrating was the fact that the number of first-time buyers in the UK reached its highest level in 12 years um, based upon government incentives such as help to buy, which they're saying has really propelled the first-time buyer market forward in an otherwise sluggish market. Well, I just said it was subdued, sluggish, same thing. Um, well, great that you've got lots of first-time buyers on the market. That is 
brilliant. Um, and that was definitely what this Conservative government were all for, is getting these th first time buyers on the market and, um, and tr getting them to have those initial properties and the government were trying to help them as much as they possibly could. So fabulous that they've got, they've got that. If you are a first time buyer and you're listening to this podcast, which I know that we do have a couple of first time buyers who listen because you get in contact with me. Thank you very much. I just wanted to have a bit of a talk about where the property industry is going for you at the moment. So if you haven't yet managed to get on the uh, property ladder and you're thinking, well, yeah, all right, Philip Hammond's just said all of these first time buyers have got on the property ladder, but hey, I haven't got on the property ladder. Let me talk you through this right now, because yes, huge amounts of government help out there. You can have a 5% mortgage if that's what you want, uh, which means that you put down 5%, the government tops up the next 20% and then your lender will um, your lender will lend to you on the final 75%. Works like a dream for cheaper interest rates because you've only got essentially a loan to value of 75%. But within five years, you have to pay the government back that additional 20%. Otherwise, you get caught out for sky high interest rates. Now, in the past, that's worked really well because for those first time buyers who were buying around 2014, 2015, have just capitalized on the fact that um, property prices have risen. So they were sold their properties, bought a new one, paid back the government and then had enough equity to put down on their new property. Fantastic. If you go back, I think a podcast that I did around about October time with my sister, Amy, she'll tell you, she's talked all about how she did that and how she managed to get success from it. So there's still options to do that, but the property market isn't rising as much. So you do have to start thinking about how you're going to pay that extra 20% back. Now you could always save up 10% of a property and get a 90% loan to value, which is on offer for first time buyers. Um, and I would certainly say that that's one of the better options. It means that you're not tied into a government scheme where they can dictate what you buy. Uh, that for me is one of the, um, the, the better options. I would always say that um, think before you buy a government, you buy into a government scheme because it can be so tricky to get out of it and then you'll be paying these huge rates. Of course, you can get one of the government's help to buy ICES, um, which means that you open up a help to buy, you open up a help to buy ISA for anything that you put in over 1,600 pounds, up to 12,000 pounds, the government will put in 20, 25% of that so they'll match you 25% or they'll cap it at £3,000 if you put £12,000 into this help to buy ISA they're going to give you £3,000 which means that you've then got a £15,000 deposit I mean that's pretty good if you're going to capitalize on the, the free money why not even if you're saving I don't know 200 300 400 pounds a month pop it in the help to buy ISA if you want that top up. Obviously, this only applies to first time buyers. If you already got a property, um, yeah, it doesn't apply to you. Talking about if you've already got a property, you must make sure if your parents, for example, or a family member or somebody has 
put a property that you're part of the you you you're part of the the trust or maybe you own part of it your parents put it in your name doesn't necessarily make you a first time buyer anymore so please do make sure that you go and double check that you can still get access to this help to buy schemes this includes the stamp duty relief that is going on at the moment so at the moment Anybody um, who's purchased, any first time buyer who's purchasing a property of up to £300,000 can get stamp duty relief. Up to £500,000, you just pay stamp duty on the chunk of money that you pay between £300,000 and £500,000. I think that's about 2%, um, which is great. So the stamp duty relief is really helpful. Again, if you own property with anybody else or you... Um, you've got your part of a trust which owns property you don't count as a first-time buyer so you're not eligible for that stamp duty relief so just check all of this out this is what i'm saying government help to buy schemes have so many caveats i'm not going to go into shared ownership right here but for those of you who've been following along with this podcast watching on youtube reading any of my blogs i really am not a fan of shared ownership. Do not get involved in shared ownership if you can help it. It is an absolute rip-off. So I'm, at the moment, um, Chris, my fiance, is trying to sh- sell his shared ownership property. Um, he has run up costs now in excess of £18,000 trying to sell it. I will go into this more detail when I can pin him down, come and be on the podcast because I think he needs to tell it, tell you about it rather than me because I get angry on his behalf about what's gone on. But selling it, a lot of people think, oh, wow, you know, the property makes money. It goes up in value. I make money on my share. Fine, you might make money on your share, but the shared ownership provider is going to claw that back in any single way that they possibly can and they can hold you over a barrel because if you sell it and they don't approve with the sale... Well, they just block the sale and you end up still paying the costs. They say, no, this isn't the correct sale price. You need to sell it at X. Or if they value the property at higher than what the uh, what you actually get for selling that part, the shared ownership percentage, they will come after you for the difference. So this government scheme is fraught, fraught with difficulties. And I'm saying it now, if you're listening and you've been thinking about getting into a shared ownership property, I would save your money, go and buy in a cheaper area that you can afford. There's a lot of banks coming out now with with first-time buyer buy-to-let mortgages. Invest in in another property, rent it out, rent in the more expensive area that you're living in. And then when you've got the money to buy a property in the area you actually want to settle in long-term, sell the investment and then buy in the area you want to buy in. That makes far more sense than getting involved with shared ownership because you do not just wanna be chucking money down the drain, honestly. It's not worth your time, it's not worth your stress. I'm sure that you've got busy lives, busy working lives, you wanna go out and enjoy yourself. You don't wanna constantly be putting half of your money or half of your income in a savings account just in case you get screwed over by a shared ownership provider. So I don't want you to get caught out by that. Really my advice to you as first time buyers, if you want my honest opinion, 
what I've just said, if you can't afford to buy in your local area, buy elsewhere, or save up that 10% deposit. I guess the one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is that I never, I live a flexible lifestyle. I never know where I'm going to be from one year to another. Chris loves working in different areas of the world and I've chosen to be with him. So because I'm so flexible, I follow him around. It's not good for me to own a property that I have to stay in and pay the mortgage. So from that point of view, everything that I do is investing in property and then we just rent the property that we live in so that we can be flexible. And you might be saying, you're paying somebody else's mortgage. Well, I don't actually see it like that. I see it as the fact that we've got this option in our lives to be wherever we want to be, move to wherever we want to be. And we're very fortunate to be able to do that, but we don't want to be tied down in certain locations because otherwise it takes months to get out of. And if you need to move quickly, for example, when we came to New York, found out in July we'd move by September, it's tough to make those decisions which could completely alter the course of your life because you will tie down by a mortgage. So I just just think that, yeah, it's great to be on the property ladder. It gives me assets. It gives me an income. It supports my lifestyle in ways that are just phenomenal. But yes, it also gives me that little bit of added stress that I have to maintain and manage my assets, which, yeah, okay, it comes with it. Nothing in life comes for free. But this desire to get on the property ladder and live in my own home, yeah. Do I have that? I might have that when I decide to have kids and settle down long term and know where we want to be for 10 to 15 years. But if we're going to be somewhere just short term, I'd rather have that flexibility and invest my money elsewhere. And hopefully that gives you a little bit of inspiration to start thinking outside the box. Yes, the cultural norm is that you graduate you get into this lifestyle or this lifelong career that you've had to decide since you were 16, 17 or 18. You go to university, hopefully you go to, I don't know, top 10 university or whatever the cultural norm is for a university you have to go to. You come out of university with sky high debt and you go and jump yourself into a career that apparently you're meant to have until you retire. Sometime in your late 20s, you're then meant to find your life partner, get married, buy a house, by the time you're 30s, you've got your kids. That's the cultural norm. Life doesn't work like that anymore. Well, my experience of it isn't, and I wouldn't want to now force it to work like that because I've got so many other opportunities with with being flexible, which is actually fantastic. So what I want, so what I'm encouraging you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, well, everybody else has bought a house and they've got four bedrooms or they've got three bedrooms and I'm nowhere near that because I made the decision to go and work in a job that I wanted to work in or you know I'm I'm in a really expensive city do you know what it's normal nowadays I actually think that's the more normal story than someone who's kind of got their life mapped out for every single decade and that's cool because it's fun it is fun so if you're saving to buy this house Why not think about saving to buy something that can help you in life and support you to have that lifestyle that you want, but not necessarily tie you to a certain area. Rather, you can make the decision to move wherever you want. Now, it doesn't mean you can live in your property for a bit and then rent it out. Why not? If you want to move, rent it out. But government schemes do not allow you to do that. 
If you've got a property that you've bought using any government help, they will not allow you to rent it out whilst they're still involved in the property. So you have to get out of that government scheme before you can rent it out. Otherwise, it's a fraudulent purchase. So do make sure that you're thinking about that as well. What do you want to do with your property? Where do you want to be? It's more important as first-time buyers to be thinking about what you want your life to look like rather than what you want your house to look like and trying to get as much money from different sources as possible so that you can buy this ridiculously uh, expensive, I don't know, apartment or property and then getting stuck to it because that's not the way of enjoying your life your life really should start with you building assets having fun looking at different opportunities okay saying yes to things that come your way left field when you're like oh wow I like the idea of that or something that really terrifies you and you go along with it anyway and I firmly believe that your properties whilst you're in that stage anyway and you don't need to be there long term should be part of that plan to help you going forward. And if you bear that in mind, that is the way that I think first-time buyers are going to be getting on the property market more and more and more. So as you can see, I'm not the particularly big fan of these government schemes. Of course, you might think, well, Natasha, do you know what? I'm going to be living in this property for the next 10, 15 years. Fabulous. Use it. Go for it. Like Go for gold. Take the government for all they're going to give you. It's fine. But do have a think about, you know, what you're what you're buying this property for and what it means to you and then use the appropriate routes. And as I said, there is nothing now stopping you buying a property in a more affordable location and renting it out and helping that support your um, your lifestyle in the more expensive place that you're living in. Or there's no problem with thinking as well, "Mm, maybe I won't live here forever, but it will be a good rental investment at some stage. So I'm going to buy it because of that, not because this is my long term home. There is no problem with that. And start thinking about that. And then that will help you think about the ways in which you're going to fund your property and the ways in which you're going to grow it from there. So I'm hoping that that's given you some food for thought, Um, especially because it's great that the government like celebrates all of this help to buy stuff that they've got going on but essentially it just means that they own more property because they have the charge over the property I don't know sit with that for a while for me that feels a bit off (laughs) it's just them investing in property too because they're making money on it so I hope that's been an informative podcast for you I hope you've enjoyed it please do send me a message and let me know if it's been useful for you if you want me to discuss anything more about this, not often do I discuss first-time buyers, but sometimes it's really topical and I think it's uh, an exciting thing to have a look at because if you do want to get on the property market, there's nothing stopping you. If you want to email me, you can email me, natasha at nzrealestate.co.uk. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Natasha C. Collins. Remember, you can come over to my website, www.ncrealestate.co.uk. And please subscribe to this podcast so that you can get it straight into your podcast provider every single week. Thank you for listening. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.